Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to In The Field, a new podcast by Ivy Times UK. Each week we talk to journalists and stringers, activists and authors about the global stories that matter. This week we're speaking to Liz Castro, a writer and publisher who is active in the movement for independence for Catalonia, the northeastern province of Spain. Last week, former Catalan president Artur Mas and two ministers were in court on charges of trying to hold a referendum on independence from Spain. If convicted, Mas faces a 10-year ban on holding political office. The case brought tens of thousands to Catalans back to the streets, but got relatively little coverage outside of Spain. Well, it's a big story in Catalonia. I kind of doubt that it has reached um, Spain because they tend to um, play down these kind of cases in which they're sort of using this heavy judicial process to, to squash a movement for independence. The independence campaign for, for a referendum has obviously been going on for, I mean, for how long now? Well, you know, people have been, uh, Catalonia was independent in the 12th and 13th centuries. So it's been going on for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. Catalonia lost its 
um, its own constitutions in uh, 1714 right. at the end of War of Spanish Succession. So, but the, the current you know surge in pro-independence movement dates to around 2006, which is when the the new statute of autonomy is uh, negotiated between the Catalan and the Spanish parties, um, and it's really it's the best possible scenario for finding a, a better fit for Catalonia with Spain, and and the Spanish government kind of takes advantage of it and and keeps insisting that the the demands be less uh, lessened uh, demands that that you know things like uh, being able to control the airport there's still airlines that aren't allowed to fly only to barcelona they always have to go to madrid things about tax collection things about education and so so that there's this this attempt to create a better statute of autonomy a better charter for catalonia which pretty much fails right and yet it's passed it's passed, so so it's accepted as this is the best that we can do in 2006. But even then, the, the crux of this is that the popular party in Madrid brings a suit against the statute of autonomy. So, so even though it's not, it has been uh, through this kind of grueling process in Catalonia, and people are pretty unsatisfied with it, the Spanish government brings a suit against it, and the, or the popular party, excuse me, and and then there's these four long years in which this trial goes slowly through the constitutional court, a very politicized constitutional court, and the constitutional court ends up um, watering it down even further. And this is seen as a huge blow um, uh, to, to Catalonia's dignity, really, because mm. they had already said, all right, we'll accept this, even though it's not good enough. And then they say, no, 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 you, you pull down your pants. Basically, it's, it's, it's humiliation. And the, um, that's when the very first huge demonstration takes place in July 10th, 2010. Right. Um, that's really seen as this watershed moment when the Constitutional Court rules against some very basic principles. Catalonia being able to call itself a nation, the Catalan language being given preferential treatment in schools, for example. And the, the process about the Statue of Autonomy has kicked up a lot of stuff already. And so already by 2009, there's people who are saying that, you know, we really need to be able to decide this in a democratic way. We need a referendum. Mm. And they start um, holding referendums in, in a, well, the first one was in a very small town, 8,000 people at the end of 2009. The Spanish government says, no, you're not allowed to have a, a non-official, non-binding poll in a town about 8,000 people about couple on independence. That's illegal. And people say, well, you know, we're going to do it anyway. And they do it in this completely non-official way. And thousands of people flood into the tiny little town. Of course, only the people in the town vote. More people vote from the town officially um, in that non-official poll on independence than had voted for, you know, the statute of autonomy or, or other things. But mostly it attracts tons of people who say, oh, wow. Um, maybe we could do these polls, these non-official citizen-led polls in our towns too. And so they start having these polls all over Catalonia. There's 500 of them. Um, 800,000 people participate. Uh, there's like 60,000 volunteers in every little town. There's a committee of 10 or 15 people who start canvassing their neighbors and start having conferences and, and get the people to say, all right, we're going to ask you what you think about independence. Mm. And we're just people. We're not the government, but we're going to vote on it anyway. And that leads to the, the couple on National Assembly and these huge demonstrations that we see in the next, you know, five years. And which brings us really up to today. And there's still, huh. there's still been a lot of protests even this year, right? 
There have been. Um, so, so that brings us to these, these massive demonstrations every year on September 11th, which is Catalonia's National Day. And they're, they're all about having an official referendum to decide independence because Spain says, this is the crazy part, Spain says you're not allowed to ask that question whether it's official, non-official, you know, participatory process. It's completely illegal to ask about Catalan independence. And people say, well, that's crazy. Of course we can ask people's opinion. And so, so there's a, a non-official participatory process in 2014. 80% of the people vote yes. They would like Catalonia to be an independent state. And then to legitimize that non-official poll, we say, okay, we're going to have plebiscitary elections in September 2015. And those are complicated because they're, they're regular parliamentary elections. And the idea is that if you vote for a party that's in favor of independence, that's a yes vote. And if you vote in a, for a party that's against Catalan independence, that's a no vote. And that part works fine, except that there are some parties who say, we don't want to play this game. Mm. And if you vote for us, we don't have a position. And 11% of the people vote for them. So there's 48% that vote to yes parties. There's 39% that vote to no parties. And 11% that vote to parties that haven't positioned themselves. So it doesn't really work as a as a referendum, even though it's the only legal way to have a vote on the question. That's a lot closer than I thought, 38 to 40... 40 49. 49, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, 48 be, to 39, yeah. Yeah, I thought, it would be a lot, I thought it would be a lot more of a landslide for, for the pro-Catalan independence. Well, part of the thing um, is that we haven't ever had a yes, uh, an official yes-no vote. So it would be interesting to see exactly what the vote would be if we do get to... I mean, have that yes-no question, because the problem with combining the referendum with parliamentary elections is that you you can't vote yes or no without voting for a particular party, and that makes it so that it's not a not a clear answer. Um, so, and that's why the, the new Catalan president said, we're going to have an official referendum, a binding official referendum, with or without permission from the Spanish state. We're going to do it no matter what. We want to do it with, you know, the way that Scotland did it with this negotiated agreement with, uh, with Spain. But if they refuse to allow that, refuse to negotiate, we're going to do it anyway. And that's, this is huge. And he said, this is going to happen before September 2017. And meanwhile, the, the reaction of the Spanish state has been to say, again, the way it always says, you're not allowed to talk about that. You're not allowed to ask that question. And on top of that, we're going to bring people who are working towards it to court. So the former president and two of his ministers who organized that 2014 vote were in court this week, as you mentioned, mm. um, on charges that they allowed a, a non-official participatory process about Catalan independence, even though the constitutional court said they weren't allowed to, which is obscene. Yeah. Why can't you ask people what they want? I mean, that's democracy, right? And he's the, they face 10 years of being banned from holding public office. Mm. It's, it's, it's no joke. The Catalan um, president of the parliament, sort of a, a speaker of the house, she has been charged with allowing a debate in parliament about Catalan independence. That is the charge against her. And, and um, she could also face being banned from public office. And I think she might face jail term. I'm not sure. Um, but that's just, that's just crazy. We have to be able to, to discuss this issue in a democratic way, have a debate about it, inform the people about the advantages and disadvantages, and then let them vote. That's how democracy works. 
And so the from civil society, from the the community organizations who are in favor of independence, we insist that one, this referendum go forward, this official binding referendum, and that we handle this in a democratic way. That Spain doesn't, you know, bring everybody to court and intimidate the democratic process in this way. What do you think is Spain's big problem with it? Is it the fact that if the Catalans vote, they will probably vote for independence and then Spain will have to allow them to do so? And then you might see the other regions, the Basque region, for instance, also wanting that. Or is it just that Barcelona and Catalonia is very important to Spain you know, economically? I think it's both of those things. It's, um, Spain doesn't want to lose uh, Catalonia's uh, economic contributions, definitely. Um, Catalonia has about 16% of the population, but something like 19% of GDP and some incredible number, um, which I don't have on hand, of exports and industry. and So that's, it's, it's a very important part economically of Spain. It's also true that it could encourage other nationalities, other nations in Spain to want to voice their own desires for independence, the Basque country being a prime example, although the Basque country right this moment is not at that that point. Personally, I think the real issue is pride. I think it makes Spain feel bad, the Spanish government feel bad that Catalonia doesn't want to be part of it. Mm. And it's a it's a it's an emotional reaction. It's a you're not allowed to leave. You you you're part of us. And that it, there's this um crazy thing that people tell you when they when you say uh you don't feel Spanish. They say, yeah, but what does it say on your ID card? <laughs> you know, as, mm. as if what's written on your ID card kind of informs your your feelings. As if as if being Spanish was something you're stuck with. Mm. It's 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 very bizarre. Instead of embracing the differences that that coexist within Spain, instead of the Spanish government saying, you know, this is really great that we have this other language, this Catalan language, we should encourage that, we should promote it, we should respect it, we should love it, we should, you know, for all of the different things that are Catalonia, those things are not embraced and encouraged and welcomed. They're pressed aside, they're thought of as uh, diversive of you know, why Why do you speak that language? They, the Spanish government is constantly trying to um, r- reduce the amount that Catalan is used in school. It's uh, reduced the amount that's used in uh, movies, in, in um, you know, in the media, in uh, court cases. Something like 3% of court cases are carried out in Catalan, in Catalonia. Mm. Instead of embracing this amazing culture, and not only Catalan, but also Basque, also Galician. And so that feeling of not not being respected, not being cared about by the central government is not just from Catalonia, but it's definitely this, it's a really huge part of it. Yeah, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I mean, what yeah. in terms of how many people, do, how many people do speak Catalan in Catalonia? I mean, is it a big proportion? It's not like Welsh where it's, you know, not, or something, or another language like that. No, um... There's a difference in the question between how many people can speak it and how many people do speak it. Right. Um, almost everybody, I think it's like 93% can speak Catalan, um, but that doesn't mean that they all do. Something like 80, I don't know, 85% or something can read Catalan. That doesn't mean that they necessarily would choose to buy a book in Catalan over Spanish, but they can, um, which is, I think is really different from other languages and in other places. And it, so it's really interesting. People are often often use both languages in their day-to-day. Um, they might speak Catalan 
with their family, and then maybe they would speak Spanish in a particular setting at work, or some people might only speak Catalan in most of their interactions, but, but, but that doesn't mean that they can't speak Spanish mm. or vice versa. So I think that Catalan as a first language is something on the order of 38%. Catalan is a very diverse society. Something like 60% of the people have one or both parents are from outside of Catalonia. That's something that's just really interesting about Catalonia. It doesn't want to be ethnically pure. It's, it, to be Catalan, you just have to want to be Catalan. But the, the, you see, that's why I can see the argument against perhaps using Catalan in schools or in court cases, because for two, two things, I mean, firstly, not everybody understands it or, or can speak it. And secondly, um, you know, for young kids going out into the world, perhaps leaving Spain, maybe there's an argument that Catalan's not as useful to them as, as Spanish. Well, I would disagree, um, partly because, well, one, uh, the Catalan immersion schools, um, it's true that they are mostly in Catalan, or they're supposed to be mostly in Catalan, but it's also true that kids graduate from school knowing both languages. It's not that they come out only speaking Catalan. Mm. The education system uh, works so that most of the instruction is given in Catalan, but, but that doesn't mean that kids don't learn Spanish elsewhere. Um, and they learn grammar in school, just like in, a, in an English school. You're not teaching English all day long. You're teaching math and you're teaching geometry and you're teaching history and you're teaching whatever. And you actually have of in English instruction, maybe you have three hours a week or five hours a week, something like that. Well, that's the same here. You know, you have however many hours of Spanish instruction a week and then the, the actual classes are in Catalan because kids get so much exposure to Spanish other places. They don't need to have all of their classes in Spanish. Mm. And in fact, if more school was in Spanish, if those classes weren't in Spanish, so kids had less exposure to Catalan, that would divide kids into groups. Then you'd have kids who only speak Spanish, and then you'd have some that spoke Spanish and Catalan. And the kids who spoke Spanish and Catalan would have an advantage, and there would be this division. Why do that? In fact, kids graduate from uh, Catalan immersion schools, Catalan is public education, knowing both languages, and they get better grades in Spanish than kids in other parts of Spain. Right. So it's not, a, it's, not, it's not like they're losing anything. It's not like, you know, it's not like kids aren't allowed to learn Spanish. That's absurd. You know, my, my American-born children already speak Spanish after being here three years, and, and they're in public education. So uh, the system works, basically. And it's a way of not dividing up the kids into these two groups. Because everybody speaks both. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool, and it's it's gotten all these awards from, um, uh, from Europe, and 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 it's it's a system that works. I guess my last question would be: um, We here in in the UK, we've had two very divisive referendums, one on Scotland and the second on Brexit. Is there not a fear that that in the event of a, a referendum on Catalonia, that it, it would be equally as divisive and and perhaps lead to some of the the more negative aspects we've seen from actually from both referendums? I mean, what does that mean that something is divisive? It means that people have different opinions about it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, people have different opinions about ice cream and they have different opinions about religion and about football teams and about what political parties they want to vote for. As a society, how do we respond to those differences? Well, it seems to me that we should talk about them, we should debate them, and then if you have to decide a particular policy, then you let people vote. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is they're saying, you know, you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to, to, to vote on it. We'll just decide it for you. That seems more divisive to me mm -hmm. because certainly the issue 
already exists. It's not like the issue goes away because you say you can't vote about it. The, the issue continues to exist. And so being able to vote on it would actually be a way of bringing people together because they would say the people have decided on this issue and we have agreed on it in this democratic way. And now we can resolve it. Now we can move on and talk about something else. But how can we move on if we don't actually decide this? Yeah. Listen, thanks so much for your time. Liz. It's been really interesting talking. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for, um, for talking to me. So that's it from In the Field this week. If you're listening on Acast, we've included rich links to some of Liz's articles. And if you're using iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening and take care.